Hello, hey, and welcome to Ask the Color Expert. My name is Elaine Travis. I am a career hair colorist, independent educator, and author of the book, A Colorful Journey. I'm here every week sharing tips, tricks, and stories that are all things hair color. Thanks for joining me, and let's get started. This podcast is brought to you by Vish, a complete color management system designed by colorists for colorists, helping salons to eliminate waste, ensure consistent color and pricing, track inventory, and maximize profit. To learn more about Vish, simply text in all capitals, get Vish with no space, G-E-T-V-I-S-H, to the number 44222 for more information. Hello and welcome back. On this week's episode, I have the pleasure of interviewing a longtime friend, Mr. Bud Rayner. We both are in the same zip code with where we have the pleasure of seeing clients and creating magic behind the chair. And I wanted to share, I wanted Bud to share his Um, journey in the hair industry. He has come really far really quickly and has made really smart pivots when he needed to. And I think it'll be valuable for you to listen to because some of us really get stuck in a position that we're super unhappy in, but we just don't know how to get unstuck. And then the whole jumping from salon to salon and situation to situation happens. So I will let Bud tell you about his story. I'm so excited to have you here. Hello, Bud, and welcome. Hi, Elaine. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. I've never, I've never done a podcast before, so I'm super excited. Oh, I'm about taking this. your virginity. I yes. Love it. <laughs> I didn't think I had much left to take, but. Um, so you know, I've known you for uh, quite a long—I don't know, twelve years now, thirteen years yeah. now—and um, I've read your book, and I find you inspiring, and I find your knowledge of, especially when it comes down to Redkin, like I owe you so much that I can Thank you. do what I do now because you did what you did. Um, so I've been working behind the chair now for eleven years. Um, I was—I uh, went to Jean Madeline for beauty school, and after I finished beauty school, then I started, you know, my search in the area of. I feel like when everybody leaves school, they automatically want to go work for like the most high-end salon with like the most ritzy stuff going on. Um, And luckily I did. I found a really, really high-end place that was um, wonderful for me to start out. And I've always been a colorist at heart. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't mind um, cutting and styling hair, especially when I'm, I really love dry cutting a lot right now. And when I'm deep into a haircut, I love it. But like at heart, I like to color hair. And I remember... um, leaving school and feeling like I really knew when I really got hair color and you know you you remember with beauty school like some of your peers their strengths are in one thing or another and I felt like this is my niche this is my thing so I got a job at a um I would say like one of the most high-end salons in like the most the most expensive salon in our immediate area for sure which was very definitely um and I remember I walked in there on day one, like, I am going to show them a thing or two fresh out of school. I know my <laughs> hair color so very well. And I remember that I left on my first day feeling like I got punched in the head. Like my mm. brain was totally rattled. Like it was just turned to mush. And like you, I don't know, like, I guess you leave school and you feel like, you know, like a basic thing or two about a thing or two. And now 11 years later, I look back and I think like, I didn't know anything about anything. Um, and I think that, I think that um, 
the, the kind of culture has changed um, amongst stylists, even in the short period of time that I've been behind the chair, where now people, you know, like they have YouTube and they can go on and watch tutorials and they, you know, there's stuff like behind the chair, which was a thing, but it wasn't nearly as big as it is now. And there's just so many online education platforms. And I feel like a lot of um, newer stylists, no matter what their age is, uh, they come out of school now and they feel like, well, I'm ready to go and work behind the chair. And I could say as someone that has built like over a six figure book of business that um, beauty school is only teaching you how to be clean. They're not teaching you how to actually be good. And I was an assistant um, under a fantastic colorist. I mean, he's world renowned. And I assisted him for about almost two years before I left that salon. And I, uh, I owe that I owe him so much. I mean, I see now like just the things that I do day in and day out with like little tweaks that like you have your own and I have my own to just get that like nail that end result color that you might leave and know your basic formulation. But I think it's so important for new stylists to go and work under someone who's seasoned and who is a veteran and not even so much sometimes for how to properly hold your scissors or when do you want to texturize or when do you want to balayage or overfoil. But on top of that, the client relations and how to meet someone. And it's, it's so much more than just the hair. I think the hair is kind of one of the most, like the least important things. hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. If you're good at what you do, that, that shows through. I mean, if you get a bad haircut or a bad color, most people are going to look in the mirror and think this is not exactly what I was looking for. But you learn how to really build relationships with people and with women. And I think being a gay man, um, it comes easy for me to build relationships with women. But I think for a lot of women, sometimes um, it can be difficult to build a relationship that like, they're not your coworker, they're not your peer, they're your client. But at the same time, you feel like you guys are kind of on the same level. And we become so important to these people. And I definitely learned like how to navigate I mean, I've shaved people's heads when they were going through chemotherapy at this mm. point. I've been there. I've been there to style your hair for your wedding. And I've been there to cut it off when you want to go short after your divorce for the same people. <laughs> like I've not so been doing true. hair that long and you see the whole so thing. True. And, um, I think that, I think we're such social creatures um, in doing hair. And, you know, I, I never realized how much um, these, these clients are so important to me. Like, I feel like I have so I have a lot of close friends, but I feel like I have so many friends. Like I just know so many people and to be able to kind of manage who you are as a person and the amount of yourself that you're giving to your close friends and your close family and manage who you are as a person, as a stylist and what you're giving to people in that capacity, I think is so important beyond the technical aspect of apprenticing somebody that has a lot of experience because I think we all go through huge social growth in um, knowing what to give and what to keep for yourself. And I think it's an industry where if you give too much, you will feel really drained very quickly. And you'll start to find that on your days off, you dread going back to work. And that shows in your work and it shows in your interactions with your clients. Absolutely. And so, so well said. You are definitely wise beyond your years. I mean, I think Thank that you. was the hardest thing for me to witness as someone who is, you know, over 50 and has been doing it for 33 years, anytime I had a new hire, it really pained me to watch the confusion between friendly and friend. Mm -hmm. um, my favorite part of this industry is the connection and the community of being able to say to a client, oh my gosh, your daughter's getting married. My other client's a florist. She's amazing. 
that connection of giving people's information and helping other people grow their small businesses, I thrived on that. What I didn't like to see was after that friendly became friendship, oh, no charge today for the haircut or I'm not going to charge <laughs> you for the glaze. And then it, it got to the point where at the end of the, the last you know, point that I was owning my salon, the very last one-on-one -on -one that I did with my colorists, I stopped saying something when I saw them giving away, giving away, giving away. And I just started making note each time in a little, on a little piece of paper. And then at the end of the year, I was able to say, look at how much you gave away of your paycheck. And when it was put that way, like it wasn't, she wasn't giving away my color anymore. She was giving away her income. And she's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it was that much. And I said, I know it's, you know, one thing a day, a conditioning treatment a day, a brow wax a day, like those little itty bitty, you're now my friend. I feel like I need to give you something. And when you, when you turn it around and you think about your partner, your best friend, whatever they do for a living, I can guarantee you don't put them on the spot and ask them for what they do to be given to you free or discounted. So I don't know where that began in the beauty industry, but that is like the biggest thing that people have to hurdle in getting that confidence. So you are definitely very mature as far as that goes. And I love what you said about giving of yourself, but not giving everything, you know, keep some for yourself because the burnout is real. You know, people yeah. change careers like hot potatoes in this industry. And have you noticed the correlation between Former nurses? salon and nurses. <laughs> nurses. We all they all become nurses. I don't. I'm shocked by that because I thought it's about so it rigorous and serious and chemistry and you know memorization, like everything that hair is not is what you have to do in nursing. And it's it's interesting because my niece is getting ready to graduate nursing school, and from the time she could talk, she wanted to be like Annie Lane and be a hairstylist. And now she's graduating from nursing school. So I, I can use, you know, five other examples of people who made that switch. So I, I think that's, it's funny that you said it at the same time. It's not well, just I, I wanted to get it out before you said it because I was so confident <laughs> that it was going to be the same exact thing. And I wanted people hearing this to know that it was not contrived. Like we didn't talk about this ahead of time. Um, I've thought about this in depth, actually, and I think that it's something having to do with caretaking for caretaking, another person. Absolutely, empathy, and, all those things that we need to be able and to the survive. Nurses, the nurses do end up meeting; they they meet your family, and they meet your sister, and they meet so you know your kids and whatnot. Just like we end up doing everybody's family. And um, I'm not going to say that hair is a time of need, like when you need a nurse, but there's definitely some sort of um, correlation there. And I wanted to definitely touch on um, what you said about the, you know, about the giving things away. And I think that's something I was definitely guilty of early on, especially when you're in beauty school and you so badly just want to do somebody's hair and you want to mm -hmm. just make some money for it. And you're not supposed to make money for it. So I'm going to say I didn't make money for it. But, you know, like where you're like, oh, yeah, you want like a, a full highlight and a single process and a glaze and I'll do it for 50 bucks because I just am so excited to do some hair. And now years later, like I have one of my closest friends um, is notorious for texting me when I take a color class on blonding, like, oh, do you need a model? No, girl, I don't need a model to try this out <laughs> on. Or, or like, oh, if you're off from work, like, do you want to go to the beauty supply store and do my hair from home? No, no, I don't want to no, do your hair from home. And you have to get to the point that you have to recognize um, your own worth and your own value behind the chair and the amount of education that you've taken and you've spent money and time on directly correlates to 
what you're able to charge and the quality of your work. And um, I'm very strict with all, I mean, I do my grandmom's hair for free. My mom, my dad, that's it. Right, that's um, it. And that's all it should be. My friends pay full price, but in the same respect, anytime I have to use somebody for anything I need done, I automatically am going to my friend circle and my circle of clients because I would much rather support them than a stranger. And anytime they bring up a, oh, we can cut you a break here or there. I always tell them, please do not. I don't want you to cut me a break. I want to pay the same price that everybody else pays. I'm happy to support you because on the same, in the same regard, uh, I, it's not something I feel like I need to do for people anymore. And I think that just goes back to being an assistant and working under somebody. And I mean, what you did was great. I mean, if you're giving away a $15 conditioning treatment a day and you're working, you know, we'll say 20 to make it easy. You're working five days a week. So you're at $5,200 a year on, on the duration of your 40 year career. Like you're talking, over, uh, it's over a beach 200, house. Yeah, it's, it's a over two hundred thousand yeah. dollars mm-hmm. on twenty dollars treatments. Um, yeah. I think that it's so important for stylists, new and seasoned, to know their worth and to know that somebody doesn't see the value in what you're doing, then there's somebody else out there for them that they might see the value in. I talked about your level of maturity and how far you've come in a short period of time, and I honestly believe number one, of course, is passion and and putting yourself out there. But I think that you knowing and understanding that that mentor assistant relationship is priceless, no matter who it's with, taking that time in the beginning. I've seen so many people in the most recent uh, new stylist theme is, you know, get out. I'm getting a suite right away. I'm skipping the assistant phase. And I just interviewed Julia Roberts, um, colorist. And one of the things that she said was she was an assistant for five years with Constance Hartnett. She's the one that brought balayage to the States, you mm-hmm. know, way before all these Insta famous people claim that they invented it. And yeah, before foils were even big. Yeah. People think so, balayage is so new. And I'm like, this has been around since the seventies. Been around forever. And she said, I valued that five years I could have gone on the floor sooner, of course. She could have left and gone to another salon, but she said, what a gift to be with such an innovative person with such passion for teaching. And when I was finished with that five years, I was prepared for anything that came my way behind the chair. So don't you agree that it's better to watch someone practice on a doll head, make your mistakes on a doll head under supervision of a genius then let me just decorate a suite. It looks so cute. Everybody's so worried about their throw pillows in their suite and they don't know how to formulate and they really don't know color troubleshooting and corrective work and all of those things. And there's no phone a friend. You know, if you're in a salon, you have the person next to you. You know, you have Renee who has all those years experience. You have, you know, people that you admire on social media that you can reach out to and say, Hey, I know this. I've reached but I out to, to know you that. before. Yeah. And that's the, the community is awesome. But to not ever have someone with you in your space physically, you know, showing you by their example, I tried to skip that assistant phase. I was that cocky. I was you. I walked in my first day, I got a chair right away and I thought I was all that in a bag of chips and I had an empty chair. And none of the furniture matched and every client had respirators and oxygen tanks and were ready for death's door. But I had a chair. <laughs> I was cool. So I was just like, oh, you know, between my friends and my family. And guess what? 
if you've been doing the kitchen beautician routine, you know that the first thing that happens when you get a chair and start to charge even the low price that your entry level prices, suddenly your family isn't available and still wants to be on your porch. You know, they don't want to come and pay the salon prices. So everyone would come in and show me a picture and want highlights. And I only knew how to do highlights with bleach, you know, lighten it till it's pale yellow, rinse it off, blow it dry. We didn't have toners. We, I mean, I'm really aging myself now, but JZQ is only 25 years old and I'm yeah. 52. So do the math. I didn't have it. So I just said, you know what? This is not going well. Like I put the brakes on quick. It was about, I would say maybe a year and a half that I tried to fake it. And I was like, this is going to take way too long to get good. Like I need some serious education. So I had to back it up, tuck my tail between my legs and lose the ego and go to a big company that had was known to be really strict and not a great place to work, but they were all about education. And I had to take a step back and start over and put the time in. And when they hired me, they had a rigid two years assistant. Like you were told from the day you walked in the door, you're not touching a head other than to shampoo it, condition it, brush it, comb it. You're not going to get a paying client for two years. And I was like, okay, it is what it is. Well, here's where passion, drive, education, all the extra stuff comes in. I kept staying late, coming in early, looking professional, you know, being there when somebody called out, I went on my day off, like doing all the extra things. One of the women who was one of the owners of the company had a lady part surgery. It was sudden. They had nobody to take her place and they plucked me out of my training program within two months. Instead of two years, it was two months. And what happened, you, you, you know the story in the book, but people listening don't know the story. What happened was because I had the drive, the, the passion and the confidence, they said, here's her cards, just follow her cards and do whatever she has already done and just don't make any changes and just good luck, you know, and they just shoved me out there. But what I saw really quickly was what I teach people now not to do. Every single card was stained with all, because it was a lot of liquid color back then, so there were stains all over these little index cards and every formula said, same as above, same as above, same as above. So she just kept doing the same thing from 10 years prior. So I would say to the woman who sat in the chair, oh, you know, I'm, I'm nice to meet you. I'm Elaine. I'm going to be doing her clients. You know, she's, she's just recovering, blah, blah, blah. I see here that you've had the same color for quite some time. Is everything working for you? Are you happy? You know, is there any changes you want to make? And of course they were all like, whoa, I've never had anyone ask me that before. Like they did the exorcist head spin, like me, I get to ask what I want. So I would just make like little tiny tweaks, like warm it up a little bit, do a little face frame highlight, just make it that much more of an experience and, and make it my own without reinventing the wheel. And then when she came back, all of those clients, you know, back then it was, you know, you didn't move chairs. It was suicide oh, yeah, to go into a salon and yeah these are my client and she was the owner so i was like oh gosh so these women would say what day do you work that she doesn't because i want to keep seeing you but i'm terrified of her like i do not want her to get mad at me so just by making it special and not just being a robot and being handed the instructions and just doing what she always did if i had done that 
when it came time for her to come back, they would have been like, oh, good job, tap, tap, pat on the shoulder, nice to see you, I'm going back to her. So it's really taking that initiative, like taking that training and that structure and all the rules that you know are important and then just make it your own, make it a little bit. I always teach, you know, couture techniques, like make it a bespoke piece of art, you know, don't like, I want to be able to see someone on the street and say, oh, that's a bud balayage. Speaking of, I need to go into a story that I think people will love to hear. So I had known you from when you were a little boy. Your dad used to come in to get haircuts in my original salon. Yeah. And you grew up and I ran into you at, I think it was the nail salon. You were like, I'm in beauty school. I'm coming to work for you. I'm so excited. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're all grown up. Then I didn't see you probably for three years. So, and I'm probably wrong on that timeline. So feel free to correct me. And then I was in Stone Rose with the girls, yeah. all the girls from the salon. And I'm walking by, and this is such a tribute to you saying like, you're so good with connecting with people and you have no problem with that. So um, I'm being a gay man. So I'm walking by and you're like, oh, girl, what is going on with that color? I am loving your color. Let me look at that. And I turn around, I'm like, wait a minute, you look familiar. And you're like, oh my God, where do you work? And I said, I'm from, well, I think it was Splash at the time. I said, I'm from Splash up the street. And you're like, wait a minute, Elaine? And I'm like, yeah. And you're like, this, it's Bud. It's Buddy. I'm like, dude, did you lose like 100 pounds? And you're like, yeah. 101. <laughs> 101. I was like, oh, we got to talk about this weight loss. And But what was so funny is you said, oh, before that, you said, girl, I, will, I can balayage the fuck out of your hair. And I freaking loved it. I was like, he is confident. He's putting it out there. I'm some strange, you thought I was some stranger walking by in a bar. And that's what I teach people all the time about marketing. You don't have to have this, you know, PR firm and all this marketing strategy. You have to compliment someone on their hair. Like if I hadn't known you and you were just some guy that stopped me in a bar and said, I love your color, that would have made my night. Whether or not I would come to you to get my hair done, because obviously if you're complimenting, I probably liked what was on there. But say my person is out of maternity and I met you that night, yeah. I'd be like, oh, you know what? Thank you. And I do need somebody because right now I do in Florida. <laughs> but I loved that. I loved you were fun with it. It wasn't creepy or, you know, crossing boundary. Like it just, there was everything about it I loved. And I do want to talk Thank about you. that weight loss because you still, people can't see you, unfortunately, but you still look amazing. And I, my whole entire life have been up, down, up, down, up, down. And right now, unfortunately, it's up, 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 up. I've crossed over that 50 year old threshold where you eat something and it sticks on your ass in 12 seconds. So talk to, talk to us about that, like that, what that journey was like and how you continue to keep it off because we all can use and we do in my world anyway, we always use our schedule. Oh, it's my schedule. I work 10 hours and I never stop to eat and I'm standing on my feet and I eat late at night. And blah, 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 blah. But there's ways around it, obviously, and you found it. So share, share your weight loss journey. Um, I, def- I definitely agree with you on that one. I find that, um, well, so at my heaviest, I was uh, 325 pounds. And that Are was actually really? when I, yeah, that was when I started beauty school. And I guess just kind of getting immersed in that world. And like, you have to understand, like I didn't go to beauty school because my whole life I was like, I want to do hair. Like 
I went to Penn State and I was like, um, I'll never forget. I was there for three weeks and they called me down mm. to like the bursar's office and they were like, hey, so you owe us $22,000. And I was like, Jesus. Oh, is, that, is that so? Where am I supposed to get this money? So I left school because my family didn't have any money to pay for it. And I didn't have any money to pay for it. And beauty school was kind of on a whim. And my criteria was that I wanted a job where I had no limit to the amount of money that I could make. Um, I didn't want like a salary position where like some weeks you work 35 hours, but most weeks you work 60 and get paid the same thing. Um, I wanted something that I could do that I could connect with people and make them feel better about themselves. And I wanted something that I could do that I could kind of design my own schedule and not have to always bring my work home with me. Um, little did I know that as you get further and further into the industry, yes, you are bringing your work home with you. You're bringing it home with you every day. But um, so I went to beauty school and I was 325 pounds. And I guess just as I started to immerse myself in the entire culture that is the beauty industry, not just the hair, but the skincare and the makeup and the cosmetics and the fashion and um, learning all these things, I started to feel like one of these things was not like the other. And I was the thing that was not like the other. And when you're surrounded by beauty all the time and you look in the mirror and you don't see the beauty in yourself, I, I truly do believe that it becomes hard to then try to create beauty on somebody else. I think that it kind of comes full circle. You have to feel at least good about yourself. Um, so I went vegan. Um, I have like oh, gone off and on. lost me already. <laughs> but I've gone on and off of being vegan since then. Um, that was, it really helped me lose a ton of weight and it got me to be more um, active. And in beauty school, it was easy because I could, you know, chop up my cucumbers and get together all my food and I could bring it to school and you got like a set one hour lunch. But then when you get into the salon, um, oh, as an sorry. assistant, I would get a lunch sometimes, but not all the time. Um, On your birthday. Then, <laughs> yeah, seriously. And that's only because everybody wanted to eat cake. Um, and then, you know, as you become a busier and busier stylist, like it's, it's your fault. It's my fault. It's all of our own fault. It's, it kind of becomes like, I don't want to necessarily say a greed thing, but like when I'm at work, I feel like I'm here to work. So I, if I can friend. get two more single colors in, in this hour, I can go have lunch. I'm going to do the single colors. So then you go all day and you finish work yeah. at eight o'clock at night. You've stood for 10 hours and you get home and you, I'm like the cookie monster. Like I have gotten to the point that now to help to keep the weight kind of um, in check, I grocery shop literally five to seven days a week oh, because that is like my least favorite. I just, I, I just go and I get like what I need to make dinner that night because after a long day, like I don't have any more self-control. I thought I was somebody right. that had self-control, but I don't. Um, and after a long day, I would come home and like you eat dinner, but that was really kind of like breakfast because you didn't really, right. I mean, I might've had like a Starbucks for breakfast. Yep. And then an hour later, you're like, well, I'm kind of hungry again. Well, I didn't eat breakfast or lunch. So you go and eat again and you're like, well, that was kind of like lunch. And then by the time you're eating, you know, ice cream at 11 o'clock at night, the, you, you see your wake up and you get on the scale and you think like, what the fuck? Yep. How am I heavier? I don't even eat because exactly. that's how you feel because you yep. don't eat. Yeah. You eat so much in those three hours, you're consuming three, 4,000 calories in three hours worth of time. And it definitely creeps up on you. Um, I have found it to be really effective to try to integrate. Um, I'm eating a lot more regularly during a work day now. Um, and don't get me wrong. Like my weight has gone back up and down just prior to my 30th birthday. I was 240 pounds. I'm down to 210 right now because I was like, I'm turning 30. Like I have to feel decent about myself again. Um, but I found it really helpful to incorporate, like, I get these great little uh, keto shakes at Whole Foods that are plant-based and coconut milk. And I make sure I drink one of those, maybe at two or three or four. And I make sure that I have something in on my way to work. And I make sure that I have some almonds in my cabinet as a snack. Um, 
I, I've always been someone that's really conscious about making sure I drink enough water. So every time I'm drinking water, I'm trying to give myself, even if it's four almonds, just a little something to kind of keep, you got to keep that blood sugar level stable. It is so important. And I think it's important when you're doing hair too, because I mean, I get hangry. I'm sure you get hangry. And then you have that client come in who's like, I think last time my color was a little bit too red. And you're like, well, it's been the same Matt Brown formula for, for two years now because that's what you like. But when you're hungry, you're like, it wasn't too red. Sit down. Like you get irritable <laughs> because you know, you know, it wasn't any different. Like, did you put new lights in your bathroom? Did you get a new car? Like there were so many things that it could have been. <laughs> And you can't be like that with people. And I think it's really important to kind of like mitigate your, whatever you're expecting for yourself to put out during the day, you have to be putting into yourself what you need to be putting out to other people, what you want to put out to them. Absolutely. And it's, it's hard because too, the trend, you know, now it's intermittent fasting. So now they're saying, don't eat We were doing fork. that anyway. And yeah, we were but, gaining weight. But, but we were gaining weight. And that's why I'm like, how is that working when all of a sudden it's called intermittent fasting because that's what I was accidentally they a, doing. They put a term on the hairdresser diet. Yeah. I mean, I used to go to like an organized, you know, I think I did like quick weight loss or all those ones, you know, up at Plymouth Square and they would say, oh, okay, with your hours, we're really going to have to get creative because they almost considered me like a mm. nurse, like shift work because I would do a 12 hour, 12 hour straight, you know. Give me that one. TV, turn that TV off. No, no, it's, it's <laughs> my boyfriend downstairs having a meeting simultaneously. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, everybody's got to work from home. Move, stay in your bedroom. <laughs> I'm going back to the bedroom now. So you get you you remember that people can't see you, but they can hear you, and you they think can I can walk it. freely around my house while I do this with her. <laughs> um, keeping it real. It's keeping it real. No problem. And they're definitely. I mean, there's there's. The intermittent fasting, I definitely, I was amused by it because I felt like, and was I doing it wrong? Like, was I, because I felt like it was what I was already doing. But I think that, um, I think every person's body is different. And maybe like, maybe I can eat a ton of pasta and not gain weight. But if I touch dairy, my weight starts to go up pretty quickly, just, maybe because I get out of hand with it. But I think you just have to find what's right for you for your diet and for your body, just kind of like you have to kind of find what's right for you in the hair world. Like, I don't love doing super short women's cuts. I prefer to do a balayage over a foil. It doesn't always apply, but just as you got to find your niche for that, I think you have to find your niche for your eating habits and your dieting, especially when you are working behind the chair. And I know that your salon and I know my salon, like we have snacks available for people all the time. So you kind of have to put yourself in the mentality of like, that's not for me, that's for the clients. Because otherwise right. I will eat all of those peanut M&Ms. I'll eat every single one. Now, how long did it take to lose 101 pounds? Um, over a year, I think. But that's really not that long. When you think about yeah. how much weight you can gain in a year, how quickly it goes on and how hard that first couple, like that first 10 pounds for me is like, I give up before it's even 10 pounds. I'm just like, this isn't fast enough, you know? So to, to be able to stay steady for a year, that's really not that long for a hundred pounds. That's a lot of weight. The other thing that I find really helpful, and like if you're like a dietitian or a doctor or like an eating disorder counselor and listening to this, you're going to want to shoot me right now. <laughs> but like I said, what works for me doesn't work for everybody. Um, but when I'm trying to lose weight, I get on the scale and I weigh myself every single day. Because I normally have found that if I was kind of not good the day before, you know, maybe I was 210 yesterday and now I'm 
Do I recognize that could be just too much water or I have to go to the bathroom again or whatever it may be? Absolutely. But then in my brain, it holds me accountable all day that like I wanted to see at least 209.9 or 210 again, but I didn't want to see anything higher. So that definitely has always helped me to kind of keep myself on track. And I can, there is a direct correlation to, you know, that day when it finally happens, like you go to put your jeans on you, like they're your go-to salon jeans and they're not fitting quite so great anymore. And now automatically you're like, all right, I've gained some weight. And at this point you think, well, I don't want to see how much weight I've gained. So I'm not going to get on the scale. And in my life, there's a direct correlation to, well, shit, now I have to lose 40 pounds because for six months I kept saying, I "I don't want to see how much weight I gained. I don't want to get on the scale. And that first time I do force myself to get back on, it's immediately like, well, number one for me, it's like, what the hell? Like, how are you, how are you doing this again? How are you here again? Right. Haven't you learned from the first time, the second time, the third time? I was on Weight Watchers in the fifth grade. Like, how have I not learned? <laughs> I'm not lying. That's completely true. Um, and that puts me right back on track to like, the, I see that number and it's sad for a minute, but I'm automatically then holding myself accountable again. But like I said, I know that doesn't work for everybody. And most people probably disagree with weighing yourself daily. I've just found it to be kind of helpful to keep me um, on track. Now I'm going to go all Oprah on you because I know a little bit about your background. And for you to say I was in Weight Watchers in the fifth grade, there's definitely an emotional component, you know, and and I used to get so mad when Oprah would say, it's emotional, it's emotional. I'm like, no, bitch, I love mint chocolate chip ice cream and I'm hungry. Like I was, I was like, I don't get it. I don't get the emotional thing. But as you're saying, when I, lo- when I leave work, I go to the supermarket, I pick up what I need because I know that I need to do that. My emotional eating was exactly to your point. I had Starbucks for breakfast. I didn't eat all day long. It's now 8.30 p.m. I'm cleaning up my station. I'm packing up. I've been there since 10 a.m. I'm on fumes. I don't drink water because then I have to pee all the time. And then I'm like, oh my God, I am so hungry. The thoughts of actually making something is going to take even longer. And then where do I go? I get my car and I drive to Golden Dragon. We joke in my family that June <laughs> from Golden Dragon were closer to her than our own relatives because we were eating there once a week. So that was an emotional thing. I wanted the comfort of seeing someone that you know is a friendly face and she's going to bring me a hot bowl of soup and a nice little pot of tea and a nice big tall glass of ice water and then my dinner and then by the time i would leave there it was almost 10 o'clock at night and i just had a full chinese dinner with nothing all day so it is funny how you know it, it kind of is intermittent fasting but you're not supposed to eat a chinese dinner at 9 p.m for your intermittent and then fasting. and then go home and put yourself to bed at 10 to or bed. 10 30. Yeah. yeah um I get that. Like I've been there for me. Um, this past year was so I've, I have been a vegetarian since I was 16 and this past year was hard because as I'm sure, like, I don't know, I feel like vegan food and vegetarian food is so on trend. Um, and what do you eat? Like, what's an example of your dinner, vegan dinner? Um, like last night, what do we have for dinner last night? Drawing a blank. So is he doing it with you? I'm sure that's helpful if he's on your bandwagon. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, he, my boyfriend does eat meat, but when we're home, if we're cooking, like we're cooking one meal, like whatever I'm eating, he's eating. Um, but for me, I remember this past year, like Burger King came out with the impossible Whopper and it was like the first time in 14 years that vegetarian me could go to a fast food place and to get a Whopper. And when I did eat meat, I loved 
a Whopper. It was like my go-to. I think they're so delicious. And if you haven't tried an Impossible Whopper, you should because they're equally as delicious. But I don't know if it was a nostalgia type thing, but there definitely was the comfort there that like, I mean, you know where I work to the proximity of Burger King that oh, I would yeah. work and think I'm just going, I mean, I could literally put my car in neutral and coast across the street <laughs> to go and get this for dinner. So while you were at Golden Dragon, I was down the corner at Burger King. You were, you were and, the king of burgers. <laughs> and it definitely, um, in the moment, it's great. But long term, it's definitely not. And I think just little changes, like um, I eat a lot of cauliflower now. Cauliflower is amazing, isn't it? It's like the most versatile food in the entire world. You want rice? Cauliflower. You want pizza crust? Cauliflower. You want noodles? Cauliflower. Whatever yeah. you need. Um, so like, I don't buy as much pasta anymore. I try to use cauliflower or zucchini for a lot of those things where maybe something else in my dish isn't the healthiest, but it's like, I don't know. There's so many things that you have to deal with day in and day out. And I think that as long as you're trying your best, then that's all we can really expect from people. You know, um, like maybe you still eat meat, but you recycle the shit out of everything you use. And I don't recycle that well. And so you're doing your part and I'm doing my part. And I feel like just little changes kind of. I mean, I'm only 30, so I feel like little changes over the course of your lifetime, by the time you get to a certain point, you feel like this isn't a little change, it's just, this is just who I am now. Mm, I love that. And what about exercise? Because it's the, the industry is hard on our body as it is. So the thoughts of, for me, it always had to happen in the morning or it wasn't going to happen because- It has to I'm be in the morning. Work, yeah. Um, I'm not great about exercise. I'll be really honest with you. I wish that I was better with it. I'm not a morning person and I either go in at nine or 10. So, you know, like any stylist, that means I'm up like at least an hour and a half to two hours before I'm going in because we can't, you know, we don't have the job where you can like roll in with your hair up in a bun or so, or at least you shouldn't be. And if you are, shame, shame on you. You should not be doing that. Um, But so if I do go, it has to definitely be in the morning, uh, in the spring, in the summer when it's nice out and you get, I think a lot of it has to do with the light too. Like if I'm getting out at seven 30 and it's light out, all right, well, then I'll take the dog for a walk for 45 minutes. But if I'm getting out in July, I'm getting out at 7.30 in December and it's pitch blackout, I don't want to do anything. Um, and then I'm sure you asked yourself too, like, well, how much do I have to work out? Because I stood for 10 hours today. Like, that's got to count for something, right? I had to have burned at least 10 calories, like <laughs> something from all this standing. But what I have quickly realized is that for me personally, my body's used to burning those calories from standing every day. So I was used to being able to eat whatever I ate and still be at an even plateau from, from burning the calories just from standing and being a stylist. So you almost can't count them. Like uh, people that are construction yep. workers don't say, I was lifting up lumber and, and, and building a building all day. So look at all those calories I burned because they're doing it every day. So it's kind right. of already part of your body's natural flow, what you have going on. And I definitely have found for any of the younger stylists out there, um, it's funny, like I would see like memes on Facebook and stuff. People be like, oh, when I turned 30, like all of a sudden my back started hurting or whatnot. And I remember being 27 and being like, <laughs> what are they doing wrong? And I turned 30 <laughs> and my lower back hurts. It hurts in the morning. So true. So it's made me even more cognizant of like core training and, and working with some more free weights. And I fucking hate cardio so much. And I feel like most people do. And there's, Mm -hmm. it's not 2002 anymore. You're not going to curves and there are a million different exercises (laughs) you can do that aren't cardio. And I have found that as a stylist, building some extra weight onto my body or I should say muscle onto my body has taken away my pain, has made me a stronger person, which therefore means I can work better and get through my day better and not wake up on Sunday morning, like feeling like I don't go to brunch because it's fun. I go to brunch because I need to drink. 
because you have such a long week and your body is in rough shape. And I mean, I'm not perfect by any means, but it's, uh, it's getting better. I've definitely focused well, I am on that so in the past proud of you. Months. I've I've seen I've been you know witness to this whole morphing into who you are now, and I want to um, end this episode with what advice would you give to nineteen year old or twenty year old, depending on when you got out of beauty school, bud? Like I know I from the outside looking in, I would say you made a lot of really good choices. I don't see you having a whole lot of regrets, but if if you were to come out now. Um, with all, you know, the people going right away, balls to the wall, thinking they're fabulous. What, what would you say to fabulous bud, um, to check the, the ego and start out on the right foot? What would your advice be? Hmm. I can think of a story when I was an assistant and a woman came in and like, you know, where I worked and this zip code was super wealthy. And like mm-hmm. these people either had jobs that they were making a lot. I mean, they were, they were just, they were people uh, of wealth and power, if you will. And a woman came in who I was super friendly with. She was a client of my bosses and she was always super nice to me. And I was nice to her. And I said, Hey doll, how are you? Well, later on that night, um, he would always pull himself a vodka and we would do his numbers for the day. And he would tell me what he didn't like that I did that day. Um, and it made me a better stylist. And he said to me, and the last thing is, I heard you call this woman doll today. And he said, if I ever hear that come out of your mouth again, I'll fire you immediately. And I wow. said, well, I feel like I said, it's a term of endearment. And he said, when you're a stylist and you are providing a service for her, perhaps it could be a term of endearment. But at this point, this woman is paying your bills and like their tips are what you live off of. And I don't ever want you to forget that. And I think that would be the biggest takeaway from me that like, um, you are going to have difficult clients. You're going to have people that you feel like are never happy. And you, you, you kind of, you have to grow and you have to build yourself. You kind of just have to let it happen for while it happens. And then one day you're going to realize when you're, when you are at the point that you want to be at your career. And I think it's different for every person. Then you can start to pick and choose. Well, I don't, I'm not letting my clients pick me anymore. I'm picking my clients. And I think that that's the biggest thing is to know at what point in your career, your clients are picking you and at what point in your career that you're going to pick your clients and don't try to jump the gun on the second one. I love that. I love everything about this chat. I knew you were going to be fun because you're always fun and fabulous. So I hope that, I hope you enjoyed losing your podcast virginity. And I, hope I did very much. The people listening are going to be shocked that this is your first podcast because you're so natural and um, just have so much to offer and so much great insight um, into the industry and life in general. So thank you so much. It was so great to have this chat and I hope you all will check back and see you on the next one. Thank you. I would love to do it again. Thank you, Elaine. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for listening to the Ask the Color Expert podcast. Please subscribe and be sure to leave a review. For more information on hair color education, please visit my website, www.expertcolorsolutions.com. See you soon.